What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Brian Crombie Radio Hour on Saga 960. Well, one of the issues that's been really, um, you know, front page in the last year in Toronto has been uh, sidewalks. Uh, this proposal that uh, uh, the parent company for Google had to really recreate uh, um, a new, I don't know, urban environment uh, uh, downtown Toronto on the waterfront um, with, uh, you know, huge technological uh, advances that uh, some people thought was going to be like Big Brother. And I really want to know more about this. And so uh, uh, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, someone who I think very highly of uh, from uh, old Mississauga politics is uh, LaRose Mercader, uh, who um, was the manager of community of communications and uh, public engagement at Waterfront Toronto, responsible for uh, Sidewalk Toronto. Um, uh, no longer at that position because of what's happened. He's now uh, the manager of, uh, of uh, the York Eglinton BIA. Um, has joined us. And uh, LaRose, thanks for uh, coming on my show. How are you? Brian, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, it's, it's beautiful outside. So tell me, what was your job? Yeah, uh, and so at Waterfront Toronto, we were responsible uh, for this particular site along the Toronto waterfront, and it was called Keyside. And for those who are not familiar, Keyside is uh, along Queen's Key, uh, just before you get to um, Cherry. Uh, and it's, so it's just south of the distillery district and the Garner Expressway. So Waterfront Toronto, so we're a government agency uh, and we own 12 acres of land there. Um, and so we were responsible for um, helping develop sort of the community plan uh, in partnership with Alphabet, um, which is the parent company of Google. Um, and so I was responsible for all the communications and public engagement uh, for the project. So it was a, a two-year endeavor to engage the people of Toronto on um, reimagining a, a brand new neighborhood from the internet up. And it died. Why do you think it died? Um, yeah, sadly, you know, uh, a few weeks ago it was announced that uh, Alphabet had decided not to proceed with the proposal. Um, and I think uh, just from being in the project, um, I think their ambition was a lot bigger than the site that we had been proposing. So initially, um, the RFP that went out around the world and which Alphabet won was for this 12-acre site. Um, but the proposal that they came up with was something a lot larger um, and a, a large, lot bigger in scale. And for those not familiar with Toronto, they're also redeveloping the Portlands area where they're um, rebuilding the Don River, which would open up about 500 acres of new land, um, which is about the size of downtown Toronto, if you think about it. So the proposal they were, they were um, bringing forward included a big chunk of that land. Um, and unfortunately that was beyond the scope of what Waterfront Toronto was looking for. Um, and also I think 
um, a lot of the things that they were proposing uh, weren't proven yet. And you know, part of my uh, pro- part of my teams was to listen to the community. And obviously, there was a lot of, especially in the media, a lot of concerns about data and privacy. It's a it's um, a really- and, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and, and so I think uh, a lot of there was a lot of skeptical people in terms of how that would operate. Uh, let's come back to the data and privacy in a second, if we could. So it's a real shame because, uh, at least I think it is, because this is a derelict part, um, almost a wasteland of, of, of our waterfront that, you know, I'm not sure uh, all that was there was the distillery district. And, and thankfully, it's been uh, uh, completely uh, redone and reopened and it's beautiful. But the, the balance of it is, is nothing other than wasteland, mm-hmm. is it? And this was going to be really quite a, an exciting redevelopment. So it's, it, am I right that it's a huge shame that this has occurred? Yeah, I mean, this was going to be the first of its kind in the world. And, you know, we know that governments and local governments don't have the funds and means to build a lot of this necessary infrastructure, let alone new innovative uh, technologies. So to have the world's largest tech firm willing to invest billions of dollars into our city uh, and no longer proceeding with it, I think is a huge loss. And part of my responsibility was actually um, welcoming and giving tours to international delegations. So I probably gave tours, two dozen tours to people from like Saudi Arabia, Singapore, Japan, all over Europe, who are really looking Toronto uh, in terms of like what we were doing here and how can we form this sort of public-private partnership to build an innovative new community. So for us not to proceed with it, I think it's a huge loss. But on the flip side, uh, Alphabet had spent about $40 million planning this 12 uh, acres. Um, and that's about the same budget to plan for the whole city of Toronto in one year in the planning department. So a lot of that great sort of planning work has gone into planning this neighborhood. So hopefully we can take pieces of that and actually uh, implement and integrate that across Toronto. But also I think there's lessons for Mississauga to learn and to take away as well as we develop our waterfront. So the, the, the plans, the intellectual property and the, and the plans, is that property that we can uh, make use of or is that uh, uh, proprietary to Alphabet? No, uh, it's publicly uh, accessible and owned by Waterfront Toronto, which is fantastic. Um, and all, that, um, all the plans are also available online. So I think the website is keysideto.ca where, a lot of, where all the public documents are available, including sort of a three volume uh, proposal that sidewalk uh, had released last summer um, and so I know it's a lot to take in but I think for those who are really interested it's a great sort of uh, read in and look into what they were what they were proposing. Do you think the city did what uh, everything they should do to try to keep the, the, the plan going ahead or were they right to let it go? Um, I think uh, I think so I think uh, that we did everything we could. Uh, the other interesting thing about Waterfront Toronto is that it's the only government agency that has to report to all three levels of government. So if you think about the coordination piece between the federal ministries, the provincial government and the city of Toronto, for all those players to come together so quickly to decide um, that they wanted to partner or potentially partner with Sidewalk Toronto, uh, I think was ambitious. Um, And then also I think just the dynamics of working uh, between uh, the public and private sectors, there was a lot of great synergy in between those two. So I think it's, it comes down to an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances with timing, where, especially with COVID-19 now, uh, and just the market not being uh, there uh, like it was a few years ago. Uh, but I think Toronto and especially the business community 
uh, a lot of the academic institutions and a lot of great organizations and community groups had come together and really wanted to work Labs to make this happen. We're chatting tonight with LaRose Mercader uh, about uh, sidewalks uh, and uh, Waterfront Toronto. We're going to take a break for some messages. Stay with us. We're going to come right back in just a minute. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. Well, welcome back to the Brian Crombie Radio Hour on Saga960AM. I'm joined tonight by uh, LaRose Mercader, who is the former um, manager of communications and public engagement for uh, Waterfront Toronto, responsible for Sidewalk Toronto the big development uh, on 12 acres of land on our waterfront. Uh, he's now left that position and he's working for the York Eglinton BIA. Uh, LaRose, um, let's come back and talk about some of these issues. Uh, so one of the big issues that got a lot of uh, concern was this sort of uh, big brother or data that they were going to collect a whole bunch of information about where we walked and how we crossed the street and how much garbage we threw out and how much water we took. And they said that we would, uh, they'd be able to provide services and infrastructure more effectively to us and anticipate our needs. And then the counter to that was they were going to know everything we were doing and uh, it was going to be too much information. Where did you come out on that? Uh, yeah, and that was the number one issue that we, we heard in all of our community consultations is that people were afraid that, uh, that this neighborhood was sort of going to be um, a big brother neighborhood when everything would be monitored uh, by Google. Um, and, and those um, concerns uh, were gonna be addressed. Um, part of the things at Waterfront Toronto was we established uh, this great sort of panel that we brought all these amazing uh, experts together and it was called the Digital Strategy Advisor, Advisory Panel or DSAP. Um, and this um, panel was really brought the whole community together and they had really provided their recommendations around digital governance, uh, um, the legal and the accountability uh, pieces to that. And part of the thing that needed to happen is that this was a, a sort of a new space that a lot of governments um, hadn't developed any sort of new legislation around. Um, and so it was a new topic. So I think that part of the piece that we had failed in is sort of educating the public on what this exactly means. Um, and, and how do we protect the public good around this? And who was going to be the stewardship of sort of the, the data that was going to be gathered um, in this new neighborhood? So you there was what, some... 
Yeah. When, when John Tory ran for mayor, I remember him talking about smart traffic lights and that that would speed traffic yeah. dramatically. Uh, and so he was talking about the benefit of data. Um, lots of different companies have talked about smart cities uh, in regards to electricity and water and, and you know, yeah. people are enjoying the differential pricing that uh, we've got on electricity. So, you know, and, and when you think about cookies on our, on our, uh, on our websites and, uh, and, and suggestions that uh, Google makes, so what we might be interested in or Amazon makes, we're getting this kind of information daily. Why did people react so negatively to this happening sort of in the real world, not just our virtual world, do you think? Mm. Uh, I actually think the majority of people really understood uh, that um, data is something that they needed to opt out, opt in in um, as part of this new neighborhood. I think a lot of us, obviously a majority of the population has, you know, mobile devices um, and we, we click on sort of the, the terms and references uh, when we want to share our information um, with uh, a private company. Uh, obviously, most people, I think, need to take a take take more time to actually read what the terms and references are, and also tech companies are are being a lot more diligent to uh, have sort of plain language on what it actually means by clicking yes. Uh, but also, there was sort of a um, a very strong vocal um, organized group in Toronto that was really opposed uh, to any sort of involvement um, with um, a giant tech firm. Uh, and that obviously um, generated a lot of media attention uh, in Toronto um, and really, but on the flip side, I think it actually made the project even more better. I think it, it really forced uh, Waterfront Toronto and, and uh, Alphabet um, and government agencies to demand that uh, we have an open and accountable and transparent process, uh, what it means to actually be part of a smart new neighborhood. And I think that's really the wave of the future for, for all cities that we're going moving forward, especially when we go out into sort of public-private spaces um, on what it actually means to connect to the internet or uh, being um, uh, part of a, a private building. And you're right, you know, just the security features. And if you're living in a building, what does that mean in terms of uh, controlling the AC or the HVAC uh, equipment in your building? So there, there's trade-offs to obviously technology, but in the end of the day, I think um, it, it came down to a lack of education. Uh, and that's something that cities need to um, really take responsible, responsibility for in terms of getting sort of the digital literacy piece up from our, our population. Uh, and one of the things that we started working in Toronto is actually working with our public libraries, the Toronto Public Library, in terms of educating people uh, about what this actually means uh, moving forward into the future. And I think uh, that's just something that we need to start exploring to do here in Mississauga. There was also some issue about uh, using wood and people felt uncomfortable with the amount of wood they were using. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, one of the proposals was that this uh, new neighborhood was gonna use uh, tall um, timber. Uh, and so all the buildings, about 6,000 units, was uh, gonna use a sort of especially uh, treated compressed wood um, which has actually been used a lot in places like Europe. Um, and surprisingly, uh, um, here in Canada, we have a huge lumber industry, but there's only sort of one mill in Quebec uh, that made this sort of special wood uh, that's fire resistant. And uh, the other issues we had is like with uh, um, mice and rodents and, and other animals eat away at this. So it'd be, it's specially treated to this. And I think a good example of Mississauga is if you go to Credit Valley Hospital, 
um, and the, the main uh, entrance or the wing there um, has this sort of special timber wood that we were proposing for this neighborhood. Um, so they were proposing to build uh, buildings as tall as 30 stories using uh, just this, this special kind of timber. Uh, and it would have uh, really given a special sort of unique look and feel to the neighborhood. Um, as you know, most places in downtown Toronto and even here in Mississauga, we just have tall glass buildings. Uh, to, so to see sort of a, a beautiful new wooden structure, I think would have been really cool. Why, why uh, were people so skyline. against it? Why were people so against it? Yeah, I don't think there were people who were against it. I think they were just uh, skeptical of whether or not this was even possible, uh, especially the Ontario Building Code uh, currently allows, I think, less than eight or 10 stories that, could, that it could actually go up to. But uh, I think when we started educating the public about what this means, that we could create a possibly a whole new industry in Ontario and create thousands of new jobs, I think people uh, warmed up to the idea. Size is one of the other issues you mentioned. Uh, why did they want so much more size? Was it uh, necessary for them to make their economics? Yeah, definitely. I think in order to meet sort of their business case, and you remember Alphabet is, is a, a private company, uh, they need to, and especially if they were going to invest all this money in new, innovative new technology and all the infrastructure underground, um, they needed sort of scale to make this happen. Um, the other goal of the neighborhood was that it was going to be a truly carbon neutral neighborhood. Uh, and so if you're thinking about sort of the heating and cooling systems and uh, centralized um, uh, systems that needed to happen, uh, they needed scale to make that happen. Um, and so that's all why they were proposing to go beyond the 12 uh, acres. I think they were looking at uh, about 180 is what they were proposing, which is basically the same size as the Lakeview property here in Mississauga. Yeah, 12 acres going to 180 is a little bit of, a, <laughs> of an increase. Um, yeah. Where are those 180? Is it, was that the whole Portlands area? Uh, no, I think that would be about uh, um, about half of it right now. The Portlands area is about 450 acres, I believe. Um, and right now, um, Waterfront Toronto is working on rediverting the uh, Don River um, and the mouth of the Don River right there right now. So right now, you couldn't be able to build, you know, um, down to that land because it floods every once in a while. So to be able to open up all this land. Uh, is going to be a remarkable transformation of what's going on uh, in Toronto's waterfront. But but the Portlands area is, is not as derelict as the 12 acres we were just talking about, but it's all sort of old industrial and uh, and, and could, um, you know, really yeah. use a redevelopment. Why didn't the city uh, entertain that idea? Um, I think part of it is just the way that the RFP is initially structured. Uh, it focused on finding a funding and innovation partner for specifically for the 12 acres. Uh, there was a caveat um, in the RFP that they could potentially look at um, expanding the scope um, in the future. Uh, but the real focus had to be that um, Alphabet had to uh, prove themselves on the 12 acres first before they actually thought about expanding to the rest of the waterfront. So I think perhaps if they, we had structured the RFP um, to include all of the poor lands, I think this would have been a different story. Um, and I think people were saying that, that, that perhaps um, if we were going to allow uh, sidewalk Toronto or sidewalk labs to uh, take on the parlance. It was unfair because we didn't allow other private um, firms to uh, fairly uh, uh, bid and, and, and uh, bring proposals to that land. Uh, and so this is a key part of Toronto's infrastructure. So it has to be done correctly and fairly. Um, and that's why it was forced uh, at sidewalk Toronto actually backed down 
and they uh, had downscaled their proposal back to the initial 12 acres. And I think that's also the reason why they decided that it just didn't make economic sense for them to proceed. Transit was also one of their uh, requests, was it not? It was, and it was, a, well, one, it was one of our uh, key demands as well. Um, for those who are familiar with Toronto, there's the um, LRT that goes along the waterfront, but it only goes on the western edge towards um, the CNE. Uh, and there were plans to take the, the LRT uh, to the east side towards uh, the Don River. And so we were looking at a funding model where they would help pay for that new infrastructure. Uh, and also it made economic sense for them uh, to make the, the neighborhood a lot more accessible um, and um, sort of pedestrian friendly. And, and so that was part of the plan. And part of the package moving forward was they were gonna make a large financial contribution to that. Do you think there's any chance we could get them to come back? Um, you know, I, I would, I wish, you know, I think one of the things if we were, if I was to do this again, and this is just, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, if I was a province of Ontario, um, one of the sites that really needs help right now is Ontario Place. Um, and, you know, a lot of big things was about the sort of the governance issue around this. So the fact that, that that's all provincially owned land, uh, that's needing sort of infrastructure and investment um, would have been a great sort of test bed and site uh, for um, Alphabet to actually test bed all these new ideas. Um, and so hopefully, you know, somewhere somebody in government is, uh, is maybe perhaps proposing new ideas. And I think that would be uh, an ideal scenario. I should have mentioned in my introduction that I uh, came across LaRose initially, I think because of your involvement in the Mississauga Summit and then because you ran for Ward Council. Was it twice that you ran for Ward Council? That's right, in 2000, oh no, actually three times, 2010, 14, and the latest uh, election in 2018. And so uh, LaRose has got uh, a great amount of political experience. Let me ask you a political leadership question. Um, you know, I think about, uh, you mentioned Ontario Place. I would also mention an exhibition place. I could also mention you know, we were thinking about an Olympic bid. Um, yeah. We've got, uh, you know, the redevelopment of, uh, of this 12 acres, the redevelopment of, uh, of the whole uh, uh, Portland's area. It's, it, it, do we have the right political leadership to get stuff done? Like, you know, you think about the Trillium uh, line, you know, Premier Doug Ford said it's just going to get done. Um, and, you know, almost surprised everyone because he had it all designed and planned and funded and, uh, and it's a fait accompli, something that we had never thought about before in the whole big move stuff. But in some of these things, people, you know, desperately want public involvement and public consultation. But when we do all that, maybe it just does never get done and we end up getting nowhere. Yeah, that's a really good question, Brian. And uh, I think if you look at other large successful projects in other cities around the world, it, it really, it needs, any big projects needs sort of a political champion to make it happen. And, and you're right, I think we're, that is lacking uh, for projects in the GTA. I mean, if we looked at, um, you know, just for Mississauga, we had, you know, former Mayor Hazel McCallion, um, you know, deciding to build our city center area. Um, who would have thought that we could transform a, um, a, you know, piece of farmland into a booming city center 30 years later? Um, and the rest of Mississauga, obviously. Um, and yeah, I think, and, and if you look at other places like Chicago, uh, in terms of building massive new infrastructure, sort of like, you know, Millennium Park and stuff like that, uh, they had a sort of strong mayor system. 
Unfortunately, I think the way that our political system here um, is in, in Ontario and in the, in the GTA doesn't allow for sort of that, um, sort of those strong players to emerge. Um, perhaps uh, a good example recently is the Premier on your right with this Ontario line. A lot of people are skeptical. Sorry, Ontario line, not, not line. You're right, it had the wrong Yes, the Ontario, it's called the Ontario line because it would connect uh, the Ontario place with uh, the Ontario Science Centre is, um, you know, people don't believe that it's actually going to happen. <laughs> uh, and I think today they just announced that they were releasing the RFPs uh, to advance the project. Um, and so, yeah, I think what was what, that the failure of the this sidewalk um, labs proposal is we didn't have that strong political champion uh, to really push it forward. I think initially they did. And, you know, the political cycles obviously change um, and 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 it's unfortunate. Um, but I think if we are going to think big and, and to make things happen, uh, we need sort of these new um, political leaders to emerge and not to be afraid to share their big ideas and to execute on them. I, I always continue to worry about NIMBYism, that it's easier for people, a small, you know, vocal minority group to mm. say no to almost anything, um, rather than it's difficult to get a whole bunch of people to say yes to something. Yeah, agreed. And But I actually think of the NIMBYism, you know, a lot of times uh, makes the projects uh, a lot more accountable and transparent and actually makes the project even better uh, if, if it does proceed. Uh, but I think it's, it's getting over sort of like the initial hump and the opposition to it uh, that sort of we, we haven't been successful in. But just, you know, a good example is this, um, what Waterfront Toronto is doing. So yes, we were focused on that 12-acre site, but right now we're redeveloping the entire Portlands, which is amazing, which is 450 acres. And that was a plan that's been developed for the last 30 years, Brian. And so it took 30 years for the three levels of government to agree to a billion dollars. Um, and it actually, the idea started because we, we wanted to bid for the Olympics uh, for 2008. And that's how Waterfront Toronto actually got created is because we had this crazy idea that we wanted to host the Olympics there. So even though we didn't, we didn't win, um, you know, 30 years later, uh, we're spending a billion dollars to reclaim this part of the city. Um, so even though uh, we're not really good at executing the big projects in a timely manner, I think in the long run, uh, eventually these good ideas come around and eventually gets funded, but it takes a good long amount of time to make things happen here. We're ch chatting tonight with Rose Mercader, um, former uh, manager of communications and uh, community relations for the uh, Waterfront Toronto and responsible for Sidewalk Toronto. Um, a great guy, a future politician for sure, um, and a great uh, asset to Mississauga and the GTA. Uh, thanks, LaRose, for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Brian Crombie Radio on Saga 960 AM. Well, I've got an interesting uh, person to introduce you to tonight. Her name is Marianne McMillan, and she runs something called The Next Music Generation which is a website and podcast and, uh, and uh, well, let me ask her to explain it. Miriam, tell us what is Next Music Generation? Great, well, um, thank you, Brian, for letting me be a part of your show. I, um, you know, I've been working on the Next Music Generation since 2015. Um, I've had much success with doing movie premieres, booking talent into major productions, um, working with various different artists across the globe, which has been incredible. 
um, I've also expanded on, on doing my own particular podcasts, much like yours, um, where your mine is more so just around inviting different artists to be a participant to participate and be a part of something. Um, you know, I have my own talent agency, uh, my own music label. I'm also working on some, um, a, major, a major project with um, a college and university. Currently at the moment, we're actually in the third phase of the initial project where, um, you know, we're building out the platform through Microsoft. Um, which is really exciting. So much like Zoom, much like um, these video conferences that are out there, the next music generation will now be able to provide access um, to talent and industry professionals to communicate and do um, meetings, schedule, um, you know, conference calls, private calls, um, you know, and, and you know, to help them get them get themselves out there, pretty much. <laughs> so, so tell me, what's your background? How did you get into promoting, burgeoning uh, young uh, up and coming musicians? Well, basically, uh, it was back in 2014. There was an article that was produced um, here in Toronto. I don't know if you've heard of Metro News, which is pretty much. Um, a community newspaper that's inside of the subway. And when I was in the subway, I read this article and my, I felt like time just froze. It was like, you know, when you just feel a passion and you feel a connection to something, it was like, that was my drive. Like, um, so when I read the article, it said that they wanted to make Toronto the next music city. And also they wanted to connect the Canadian artists inside the industry in the United States. So they invested about $30.6 million in the music industry. So that was really intriguing for me. So I started doing some initial research um, and I learned so much from there. That was the starting point. <laughs> and so you say that you've got podcasts uh, and you what, do interviews with different, uh, different musicians? Yes. So um, also I have my own magazine. Um, also I'm a Canadian, I'm considered a Canadian broadcaster now. So we produce um, a lot of um, Canadian Canadian productions, and um, we help support these indie productions and stuff as well. Yeah. Excellent. And so tell us some of the artists that uh, you've introduced to the world that you think are up and coming from Canada. Um, I think there's quite a few. There's so many to, to talk about. Um, I can't really name, but I know that there's a special few that I'm a handful of people that I'm working with right now. Um, there was one particular female, she's based in Toronto, her name's Luna, and um, she's somebody that everyone needs to look out for, because I really think that she's going she's gonna to be that storm that's going to come through the city, for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, if yeah. you ever want to introduce me to her and have me introduce her to, to my listeners, uh, let me know, because that would be fantastic. And so you're, you're also a talent agency. What do you do as a talent agency? Um, so the town, as a talent agent, I book talent inside of major um, productions across the world, um, globally. Um, so with that being said, it's more of, um, you know, outsourcing and looking for the right talent to fit um, a production need. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're, you're working on behalf of the artist or on behalf of the venues? Uh, the venues and the artists. Um, so I have a personal relationship with a lot of the casting directors here in Toronto and also like 
globally, um, where I've introduced them to my platform, um, and they are affiliates, they're partners with me on the next music generation, um, and the talent would be able to have access to these particular casting agents to book their own shows eventually. We're chatting with Marianne McMullen right now from uh, Next Music Generation. We're gonna take a break for messages and be right back. Stay with us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. Well, welcome back to the Brian Crombie Radio Hour on Saga 960 AM. We're chatting tonight with uh, Marianne McMullen, who is uh, the owner and leader and founder of something called Next Music Generation, which is a talent agency and a podcast and, uh, and a group that uh, are trying to uh, really promote young musicians, uh, up and coming musicians in Canada. Um, Marianne, to start with, you were saying that uh, you had recently uh, been, think been going to uh, Country Music Awards and, uh, and some other awards. Uh, tell me about that. What was that all about? Yeah, um, so basically I was asked to participate in the Country Music Awards um, to be more of an affiliate and to look out and scope out um, talent. Um, so I was part of the panel and um, you know I introduced the next music generation to the initial crowd that was there um, for the country the country music awards mm -hmm. and have you been involved in other award ceremonies or, or, or broadcasts like that yes I have so I've been part of the hip-hop music awards here in Toronto um, I was asked to be of a panel um, and we were just talking about the mainstream and the industry and what the industry has to offer here and how the next music generation was going to make an impact and make a difference. What's the next phase of your uh, your, your development? Uh, right now we're currently um, we've wrapped up on phase two and phase three is going to be really exciting because we're looking at doing face recognition within our platform where people who are on video, they'll, their face, it, it will scan their face to log into the system um, instead of just using a general password. Uh, you, know, um, you know, when we do our outside, when this coronavirus kind of blows over and everything is done, um, we're gonna start a tour um, in Miami and we're gonna be doing it on Miami Beach where you know the face recognition will recognize certain people and know and we can start distinguishing behaviors and if people are artists and whatnot and try to engage, engage with them. Well, it's really it sounds like a big brother. So you're going to be in Miami and what's the face recognition software going to do? It's going to recognize people in the crowd? Yeah, in the crowd and it's going to identify certain behaviors and people, it will be able to distinguish if people are in the music industry or if they're artists because there's certain behavior behaviors that music artists have. 
It's really exciting, actually. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. What, 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 what kind of behaviors? Like playing music? What else? Um, playing music. Um, there's a certain way that people communicate. They walk. If they talk, like just certain mannerisms, it's, it's really interesting in how the body behavior works. So it can identify those kind of things. It's so hard to explain because <laughs> it's so high tech. <laughs> but um, it's really exciting, though. And, and uh, you said that there's some sort of a reward system that you've got? Yeah. So basically within our system, um, in the phase three of our project, we're building out a, a lifetime pay system where um, people, if they, when they refer talent inside to the next music generation, every referral will be bonus. They'll receive a bonus. They'll be able to receive residual income. And, and they do that, sorry, I don't understand. So what, what happens? They register with you? And they register with the next music generation. So say if you were to refer three people, you would, you would receive a residual income for those three people. So you would get a 10% commission on every single referral. And then if they do any bookings or any kind of work within the next music generation, you would receive just a commission just based on their work that they've done. There's nothing like that. This is a way of getting some artists to, uh, to recommend other artists join in. That's correct, yes. Okay, and the benefit of joining in is that then you um, promote them to, uh, to uh, venues and or other opportunities for them to uh, perform? Yes, that's correct. So basically we have our own platform as well where we're actually developing um, the next music generation band. So we're going to be doing a world tour, um, an audition tour. Um, globally, once this COVID ends, um, and then um, like all the artists will have a chance to perform within our platform and outside of our platform. And you say you've got a magazine as well. Tell me about the magazine. Yeah, so it talks about some of the artists. Um, so it's a platform for the initial artists that we're working with. Um, it gives them a different leverage, a different um, way of showing their content. Um, and getting it out there and distributing it. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I have a partnership with a magazine actually in New York City right now um, and Forbes. Um, they're actually going to be doing an article on the next music generation and we're going to be collaborating so it will be a collaborative effort. So if you're just starting out in the music business and you're um, um, you know, an up-and-coming artist, what are the keys to success do you think? Other than obviously joining your platform. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is just humility uh, and just being really like, yeah, being humble and being a good learner um, and not taking people for granted um, and just really understanding that, you know, not everyone is out to take advantage of other people and, you know, people really do want to help and support, um, but nothing comes for free. Like even with the artists, like, you know, they expect, they, they do expect a lot, and I don't blame them. But at the same time, you know, the next music generation's already invested $20,000. And in order for me to get the artists where I want to get them, you know, it, it's going to take a lot of humility um, from every party, and it's teamwork, okay? Teamwork right. makes right. the dream work. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so how do you promote them? You get them on, uh, what, on Instagram and social media and then uh, uh, gigs and, uh, and other publicity? Much more than that. We have our own newsletter. I do all my own um, initial PR. 
So I have um, a PR team that actually works with me and we develop the newsletters accordingly. Um, so if there's a song or an album release, we reach out and um, we have about 30 million viewers. 30 million, like 30, an audience of 30 million people. Awesome. Right. That's quite the audience. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. Um, but it's, it's taken a lot of time. Um, I don't want to go off topic, but it's just more of like, you know, it's because we haven't just jumped into the industry and we're, we're still building and doing a lot of research. Um, this is why it's really crucial and important because you want people to see that you're, you know, you're really serious, right? So when they take the person who's leading the pack seriously, they're going to take everyone that's following suit seriously as well, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, I just, it, it's very challenging how to make money in, uh, in the music business today, uh, you know, they used to make money from records, CDs, whatever, and people aren't buying those anymore. I'm not sure how much they get paid by Spotify and other of the streaming music uh, platforms. Uh, and it seems like, uh, you know, they had to make money by live concerts and the live concert business, particularly now, seems to be uh, non-existent. And even when it was existent, it was, you know, the old uh, rock and roll bands uh, from 20 years ago, 30 years ago that were touring that were bringing in all the people. So, it's a tough business to make money in today, isn't it? It is. And I agree with you 100%. I think your instincts dead on um, in respects to live performances. Um, and this is where the next music generation has the cutting edge and has like a different, it's going to take a different spin. Because, you know, when you look at the industry today, everyone's really out for themselves and they're producing music. You know, they're, they're producing their own band, they're producing their own music, but you know, we all come from somewhere. Someone refers somebody, right? So um, not let alone um, through the loyalty program and the live performances and things of that nature. Like we can, right now I have a contact um, that is just waiting for me to put the band together so we can go live on a boat cruise. A boat world cruise. boat cruise. People don't go on cruises, cruises anymore? I thought people were, were scared to death of cruises now. No, they with this, they're waiting. They've been wanting to work with me since like 2018. And I just said to them, this isn't the right time. This is, you know, I'm just putting the band together. So once the band's together and the COVID blows over, then we're going to actually, yeah, the, the band can actually get paid to perform on this boat cruise. So you're actually recruiting the different uh, band members. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Fantastic. So you're uh, you're also a, sort of a music producer as well as a uh, uh, publicist, as well as a talent agent, as well as yeah. a podcaster. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting to know the ropes. I'd rather um, the thing about me is like I understand the complexity of building a business, and I want to understand the whole picture, the elements. You know. So like when people come talk to me, they know that I know what I'm talking about because I've done it myself. I've gone through that pain. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because you said you, you came across this idea just by reading a newspaper once. Well, yeah, that was part of it. But um, I was a singer um, when I was young. And I was also a musician when I was young as well. I've won awards. Um, music, music has always been my kind of escape and my outlet for happiness, I guess you could say. And yep. I think everyone has a different way of connecting to music. Um, but you know, it's like finding 
you know, it's like you hear all these motivation, motivational people and they talk about, you know, follow your dream, follow your passion. And it is so true. Like when you find that one thing that makes you happy and you find that passion behind it, you know, that's what drives you and it keeps you up. It keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. And I am so grateful that I actually found this business because, you know, the, the position I was in like four years ago from what I am in now, I wouldn't have known any of the stuff that I know if my passion was behind it. Well, that's one of the keys to success in life, isn't it? To find your passion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) best of luck. And uh, thank you for introducing us to the next music generation. If people want to uh, contact you and, or, you know, follow you, uh, how do they do that? Um, they can reach out to me at info at the next music um, They can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the next music generation. Um, right now um, they could look at the next music website, but it is going to be changing dramatically in the next upcoming months. Cause of my partner that's actually working with Kanye West in California, we're working together and we actually have a meeting tomorrow. Awesome. Well, good luck with that meeting. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. But yeah, everyone can reach out. My phone number's on the website and stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for letting me be. Marianne, thank you so much for joining us tonight and telling us about the next music generation. Um, As some of the listeners may know, I was president of the Mississauga Arts Council and on the board of the Mississauga Arts Council and maybe not as big as uh, the next music generation. But um, it was uh, my passion to try to promote uh, artists and uh, and try to get them gigs and to try to educate them on how to run their music business as a business. Because one of the things that I found was that a lot of um, musicians are passionate about their music, but are effectively are small entrepreneurs and don't realize that they got to run a business that has marketing, that has promotions, that has accounting, that has finances, uh, et cetera. Um, And and then finally they needed to connect. Um, And, you know, you talked about your reward system and connection, but uh, you know, collaboration and connection because they, they, they want to get gigs, they want to get ideas, they want to write songs, they want to put bands together. There's a lot of uh, connection that needs to happen. And so we talked about, uh, about connection, about creativity, and about community. And I thought all of those were key. And I've, I've had the privilege of, of speaking to a couple of artists during this uh, COVID-19 time period. And it's interesting, some are really down that they're not getting gigs, no question. But others of them are really excited about the opportunity it gave them to be creative, and even more creative awesome. than maybe uh, in a normal time period. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's, I know it's going to be a really tough time, but there's going to be some great things coming, not just through my platform, but many others, um, you know, so especially yourself as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a, it's a selfish, I don't think anyone should be selfish and think it's all about them, but there's definitely many things coming, you know, because once it's COVID, I don't think times will ever change. Like, I don't think it'll be the same, but you know, it, I think people are going to appreciate the fact that we have, we can go outside, we can do things, we can be social. So there's going to be lots of things coming. I think people are going to be desperate to be social and, and, and <laughs> together with other people at a yeah. concert. And there's nothing, I don't think there's anything other than maybe live sports and live concerts that bring people together and, you know, cheering at the same time or singing a song together. Uh, that's live sports and that's live entertainment. And people want to share that in a group with uh, people they know and a whole bunch of other people that they may not know, but that uh, they feel are part of their tribe, their community. So uh, 
I, I welcome what you're doing and I encourage you to keep doing it. And I look forward to uh, some of the bands that uh, some of the bands and some of the artists that you promote. So we're chatting with Marianne McMullen of, uh, of Next Music Generation. Uh, check her out on uh, her website or on Instagram or Facebook and uh, help her support uh, the Next Music Generation. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Have an enjoyable night. Bye-bye. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.